Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to the happier of the episodes this week. I can only assure you that... After yesterday's de-stressing, after yesterday's vent session, the group therapy, we are moving on to uh, greener pastures, as as they say out there. Uh, yes, I'm from Iowa. Why do you ask? Anyways, joining me again are Dan and Nick. Uh, Daniel, back in Florida. Nick, you are uh, out running Snowmageddon in Kansas City. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. Blizzard territory, baby. It's, uh, it's going to be okay as someone who has survived many of them. Uh, a lot of a lot of just hanging out and playing FIFA. That's pretty much what's on the docket today, actually. It's Love a, it. It's going to be a chill day. Let's Good. Just say that. Well, when you hear this, go ahead and tweet it at Nick Verlandi. Make sure he survived uh, because it will have came and gone by the time you're listening to this. So anyways, uh, jumping into this episode, as always, this is where we answer your social media questions. We answer your emails. And if you are in the Patreon party you get your questions answered guaranteed. So head on over to Patreon and look up London is Blue there if you want to get involved. So uh, as we always like to start an episode, Nick, with a little giving 
to our loyal, loyal, lovely listeners. Uh, that's exactly what we're going to do with this one, too. Correct. Uh, as you probably heard on Monday, we are now partnered up with Classic Football Shirts. Classic Football Shirts. Uh, I don't have to worry about losing you to ESPN anytime soon, Nick. That's all that you, this ad told me. That That's incredibly rude. I mean, I think I'm pretty high on their list of potential recruits. Yeah, right behind um, Scott Van Pelt. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, anyway, promo code LondonPod now works for 10% off at classicfootballshirts.co.uk. Uh, so we'll have a couple of things to do with them. Uh, one, uh, that promo code will work from now until we tell you it doesn't work anymore. Uh, two, we'll have a couple of shirt giveaways. We've seen them. They are uh, quite tasty, so look out for those. And then three, if you're uh, if you're in London already, or if you're coming on our trip uh, over New Year's, we're most likely going to do our live show. Uh, we always do a live show when we're over there uh, at their uh, at their London storefront. Uh, so we're really excited about that. Um, and yeah, if you haven't been there uh, to their website, it is a treasure trove of of Chelsea memorabilia. So head on over, uh, feast your eyes as we're in Thanksgiving, and uh, and potentially pick up a a kit or two uh, this season. So uh, do that, London Pod. All right. Well, here we go into the social media questions. But to be fair, we we are going to bump our Patreon partiers. I know, very unprofessional of me, but hear me out. Recently. One of our guaranteed club legends, Didier Drogba, has finally announced his retirement after teasing us that he was not done. But in the end, he he finally came out and, and posted to social media that he is going to hang up the boots and immediately go on a Yokohama promotional tour <laughs> in India. Um, so excited to be able to reflect on this man's career. So happy for him. Uh, I mean, this man literally built hospitals, stopped wars, uh, fixed his home country of Cote d'Ivoire. It absolutely on and off the pitch, a consummate professional, an unbelievable human being. And again, Nick, those are all the things that didn't even affect his status on the pitch. I mean, this is every football club in the world would have loved to have Drogba on their team because you knew you were going to get the best possible on and off the field person you could ever ask for. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. Even, we're we're gonna do a Drogba episode, so don't worry. Uh, we'll get uh, far uh, deeper into his career, but just the ultimate big game player. I mean, it was a it was a winner, uh, scoring ten goals in ten finals. Uh, he was just absolutely unbelievable when the when the moment called for for Drogba he showed up always and um you know I I will always be thankful that we got to see him play I have a huge uh picture of his winning penalty at Munich hanging over my desk and uh it always gives me joy to to look at the German faces in the in the background of that photo, and there's there's one guy in particular who knew it was over before it was over, and uh, I think that was just you know who he was as a, as a guy, Dan, and, and just wish him incredible success in retirement. Yeah, you know, uh, I believe there might be a vacancy available at Cobham for striking instructor, and Ooh. I'm hoping that he has an opportunity to help fill that void. Uh, I think you probably summed it up best in saying that you know he was a man for the moment the he did not back down from the occasion in fact the fact that he was on the pedestal in those moments made the occasions 
larger because of his presence there. So I think the footballing world loses an absolute uh, icon. Uh, Chelsea supporters get to you know clap him off his uh, professional footballing career, uh, career and wish him the best success and what comes next. And hopefully that's some heavy involvement with our club. But if not, it's probably going to be something that is not just bettering the footballing world or bettering the, the sphere of Chelsea's influence, but bettering the, the global world as well, because he's proven himself to be someone who uh, sports are important to him, but so is the things uh, in his own backyard. So yeah, not not dead, and you know, definitely has a ton of uh, opportunity and time left on this earth to continue uh, his impressive legacy so far. And it's uh, it's exciting, Brandon. I think we're we're really going to work hard, much like we did for the John Terry podcast that we did to put together a really nice retrospective for everyone. Without a doubt, I mean, you talk about uh, George Weah entering politics and becoming the president of uh, of his country, uh, Liberia, I believe. Yep. Drogba could run, right? I mean, let's be honest. He could do any sort of that. Talk about UN humanitarian official. Like his opportunities are endless. And that is purely down to because what he did with the time and the platform he was given. And it is absolutely brilliant. So as you run through his trophy cabinet, um, I'm going to need you to uh, maybe play some some exciting intense music here as we as we get into this it is just going to go on for about five <laughs> minutes um <clears throat> truly a call to action for editor extraordinaire jeremiah Ludacris to chime in with some beautiful piano please do enjoy you look at he had player of the year at marseille back in 0304 um you know player of the year with chelsea um he's winning footballer of the year for ivory coast multiple seasons four times Premier League champion, three-time League Cup champion, uh, one or four-time English Super Cup champion, which we only count when it's convenient. I'm going to I'm gonna admit that. I'm on board with that. Uh, let's see. How many F4 FA Cups, one Champions League, and a handful of other ones that he's gotten while he was in Turkey, uh, just missed out on the USL Cup. Uh, multiple scoring titles, multiple, even more footballer of the year. The the guy's record is just insane uh, when you look at it. And so we are just so excited, uh, so, so thrilled that he's able to kind of move on to the next step of his career, whatever, whatever it uh, may be. But Didier, you have earned it. Maybe take a vacation, enjoy yourself, and we will see you soon. There's no doubt about it. He will be back home. Well, what I will say, Brandon, is he also is the only player who has an official spot that he is renting in the headspace of every Arsenal supporter. Um, and you know what? Their whole fan base has just, you know, <laughs> had a collective sigh of relief knowing that he will not lace up ever again uh, against them. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, they, they, there was actually, you know, uh, it was almost like a humanitarian uh, effort to bring them back to humanity. A ceasefire, essentially. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what did you say, Nick? Ten goals in ten cup finals? Yeah. Wow. Yep. He, he's, uh, you know, that Didier, quite the player. <laughs> quite All right. The player. That is amazing. So anyways, uh, that will be coming. Super excited to work on that for him. All right, here we go to the Patreon party. Kicking us off is Keith and saying the defense looked pretty poor today. Is there a chance Chelsea jumps back in the Alex Sandro sweepstakes? Is there another defensive target Chelsea may look to in the winter transfer window? Now, 
uh, Dan, haven't even talked about this. Was Marcus Alonso the problem for you yesterday? No, Marcus Alonso wasn't the problem for me. I think Sorry made a good point that you know defense starts with your attackers and attack starts with your defense. Um, you know, I mean, we're not going to do the two-seven-two formation that is uh, making its way around the social media sphere. Uh, however, I think defensively, and this is the point I was dropping on the first podcast episode of the week that. Uh, David Luiz should make way, at least in this moment, for Andreas Christensen to get a run of games. And I don't know, actually, if any of our defenders are right to play this type of game. And I think Alonso has continued to improve uh, this season. I think Rudiger has continued to evolve. I I just don't know, Nick. If I, I think defensively, we could look at needing a new right back, um, needing one to two new center backs. Uh, I, I think that whole defensive line could be improved, uh, you know, through bringing in players, uh, maybe like a, a Reese James potentially, um, or you know, buying players on, on the open market. Are you asking for depth? Or are you saying that Aspie shouldn't be right back? I. I, I kind of believe that at some point in the next six to ten months, he should be the rotational right back for us and not the starting right back. Okay. Ooh. Whoa. Um, for, for me... He's rattled. He literally doesn't know how to process that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so, I, so here, here, if we are going to stick in with Sorry, right? If we are going to stick in with Sorry. Uh, and unlike our friend Marco was talking about the fact that like this you know can kind of go quickly sometimes in the Premier League, and I, I don't think the club is going to look to remove Sari uh, at any near point in the future. However, the build-up play is not quick enough, and I think for everything that Aspilicueta did well as a center back and a three back system, um, and as a you know right back maybe in a, a countering system, I think from a possession based system. The relationship that he and at least right, right now Conte have with William um, is rough. That whole right side really, really struggles, and part of that is you know where his kind of play links in. Like he is not the best moving forward with the ball. He has contributed assists in in some capacity, but that's also been when he's been least a ton of space on the right because people focus on the left hand side of our attack. So wouldn't you want someone that was more dynamic on the right? which forced opposition teams to give it the same level of credence or when they're not giving it the same level of credence can more quickly and incisively attack and take advantage of that situation. Uh, so when you when we did the analysis of, of Sarri's system at Napoli, it was clear that uh, it essentially kind of morphs into a back three when one of the uh, right or left back chooses to attack, right? So typically one will stay behind and one will attack. And in our system, SP typically stays behind them the most and Alonzo attacks. It varies by the game, just depending on how much space uh, he's given. I don't think right now that Aspilicueta is the problem in this defense. I think it's spacing between the midfield and the defense that is exposing some of David Luiz's, uh, let's just say, more um, robust... Flamboyant uh, tendencies. Char- yeah, characteristics. Um, 
And you know, you saw on the on the Son go uh, Son goal yesterday that you know he he did the thing that he always does, which is try and close down one area of space, and Son just went right around him uh, like it was like he was a a training cone. Um, so I don't know, and you know, to be honest with you, when we've seen Christensen this this year so far, he hasn't looked super comfortable in the system either. Cahill hasn't really looked comfortable. Rudiger didn't really play that well well yesterday either uh, to be honest like no one had a good game in the back line but i think it was you know probably some of the system and some of you know just really poor performances i wouldn't look to switch out as pilaqueta um you know if you want to give christian a run i could see that brandon but um you know i just i don't really know where you go from here ethan ampadu you know who knows well i mean dan if you're talking about the club committing to sorry that's a that's a massive commitment by David Luiz by potentially Alonso by um, Aspie Christensen isn't a ball playing center back really we don't really know what Ampadu is or isn't but if he played center mid he has a chance but he's short ish I mean you're gonna move a you're gonna move a ton of players to to get the ball well, playing players he needs. Uh, so but there's I, a balance, I, I right? Disagree. Like it, it goes I, in shifts. Yeah, I disagree with that. That if you look at what Christensen did at Mönchengladbach, which I think is going to be more emblematic of the you know some of the possession game that we're trying to play in terms of short distribution. Uh, Christensen actually, I think, is is a very strong shout in terms of a, a possession based player, and you know, I think. Uh, would situate the game well again he's young he's also going to make mistakes but i don't understand where this fallacy i think of you know kind of options where Dava louise makes a mistake but we kind of are okay with it and then when christensen makes a mistake it you know gets i think just unnaturally somehow expanded upon in a, in a different capacity like so i i think what i would hope to see is an opportunity for a young player who can have an exceptional career with us gets a, a fair shout and an opportunity to try and appropriately oppress because I, I, I don't know how you can watch what has happened in a couple of these games this season, uh, you know, turning away from the goal, the, some of the mistakes, you know, there was one snapshot where he was literally pulling the jersey of a player uh, in one of the free kick scenarios and, you know, could have gotten us into a, a deeper position. Um, yeah, I, I just I generally think that I am concerned that the personnel we have are not suited to his style of play. You know, much like we you know saw with Antonio Conte, and then we brought in different players for that. You know, for him, um, you know, I, I think we we brought in a, a excellent goalkeeper to help shore up a deficiency there. I think Jorginho is going to have to start to execute this play, and I think uh, we need. We need to look. At, you know, it, it's not surprising to me that we are linked with defensive players. It just, it yeah, just but, isn't. But look how like so. Here's a hard situation for Christensen. He's been terrible the last couple of times he's been out in the Europa League. Like not been rusty. I mean, he's been bad. So how does he pull himself out of that to be in contention? Because this happens if his form continues to spiral down he's not gonna be able to recover until he leaves so I, I i get it you know maybe he has the potential but man the last couple europa league matches whether you blame it 
he, yeah, whether you, you know, cause he's with Cahill or they made a lot of changes. So the, the fluidity's not there. He's making a ton of mistakes. But to go back to your point a little bit more holistically, uh, I would say that, and it's kind of, um, you know, now that Mike's not here to defend center backs, a huge, <laughs> uh, a, a huge, um, factor to a center back being good on the ball is what options they have when they get it. So, a lot of this comes down to the center mids and the outside backs and the outside mids. Are people making runs to come get the ball from them? Because you don't ever want them trying to turn with their back to goal away from pressure and switching the play. That's just not a good thing. When we watch Sorry Ball, they had triangles. People didn't really have to turn out of pressure. They moved the ball forwards and laterally a way to you know beat the defenders to create space to to break the press and we really haven't seen that at Chelsea yet and a lot of that is just because of you know the the formation we're still not getting enough people coming back and I think that sorry did talk about that he felt the midfield was the 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 biggest weak point yesterday so look if you have the right players in front of the the back four I bet Christensen can play it I bet Aspie could play it uh, but it's it's still just not clicking yet. And we've seen that Chelsea struggle massively when there's a press. And partially is because the center backs are told not to lump it. So unfortunately, they hold on to it and sometimes gets us into trouble. But we got to keep moving. Um, thank you, Keith, for that one. Justin saying, the defense was clearly awful, but the forwards and midfielders weren't much better. Do we need to revamp the front line other than Ed Nazard? Come January or summer, should our goal still be a top four finish? To which Philip quickly responded as the goal should always be a top four finish. Okay, fair, right? I think top four finish is a, an expectation. Dis- but, disagree there. Well, disagree. The- how about, the, was, the goal the goal should vary by the season and what we're projected to do. So a minimum, uh, no, a minimum no, no. expectation? <laughs> Would you say a minimum? No, I, I think I think at some some there are some seasons where we are are you know, it's very much within our sights to win the title. Correct. There, Correct. Are, there are other seasons where a top four finish is like the bare minimum that right. we should achieve. But like every I single season saying, at a minimum, Chelsea should be in a top four. Yes. Hundred percent agree. But you're Nick, and then you're right saying, but that like that will vary but i guess i'm trying to say like a no matter what in perpetuity <laughs> so to answer justin's question um yes we do need to uh reinforce our attacking players in january or the summer or both um i, I think if chelsea genuinely wants to compete you know for a top 4 place which is getting really crowded right now we need a center forward who can score goals uh, more than anything, or or a right winger who's going to really contribute goals. Um, I don't think Pulisic is that player, although I'd love to see him at Chelsea. I think he's more of an assist guy, um, and you know the the striker options that have been mooted to this point are are not probably going to be good enough and or realistic enough to happen. So. Uh, Club's in a tough place. I mean, they really bungled it this summer with the strikers because they thought Morata would get it back together. Uh, he has not. So if if we want a chance at top four, we need a striker who can score goals or a right winger who can do that or both, and that's just where it is. All right. Well, let's go ahead and 
man, we have a ton. This is this is a great great day for this actually. Uh, JL saying I left Phoenix at three forty five a.m. to make it to a bar in Albuquerque that was open early enough to watch the match as a pit stop on our way back home to Denver. Got to watch my Gators beat our in-state rivals, to which eased the pain of the Chelsea result. Damn this it. is the furthest <laughs> shot across the bow. Yeah, see you, Dan. Uh, says this is the furthest length I've gone in four years of fandom to catch a match, but I'm determined to watch every Premier League game from start to finish this season. What is your craziest story of a time where you disregarded life, <laughs> relationships, health, job, etc., to watch your beloved Blues? Have you ever felt the struggle of explaining to your in-laws that the reason you're leaving so early in the morning after holiday festivities is to catch an English football match? <laughs> to which Shane clapped him up and said, this is a great question. Uh, so Dan or Nick, I actually don't know this about either one of you. Do either of you have one that you want to jump in with right away? Uh, I have scheduled flights uh, so that I arrive in time enough to watch matches. Um, so I know I know that's kind of where, where our boy JL is at on this one. I've also driven through a blizzard. Um, so that I can make it in time to watch watch a match with my uh, my buddy Joe back in Omaha. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just I love it. It's the best part of my week typically, and I'm I'm you know just dedicated to it. What about you, Dan? You know, I don't know if I've just like concocted any crazy stories or have you know um, fought through illness or anything to to put together kind of a, a match scenario i think you know long longer term listeners will know that when i went on my honeymoon we did it in a way that uh, we got to both go to paris and then uh, found ourselves in london for uh, two chelsea matches at which we were able to attend and, and chelsea won both of those uh, against oh yeah that tel aviv and arsenal which was a, a great uh, great way to celebrate uh, being newly married so i think that probably is the um negotiation that uh, <laughs> to see those matches was probably one of the uh, attempts to see Chelsea in a different way or different capacity that uh, you know was uh, had to had to go forward with I, I don't know about what about you Brandon I think uh, thankfully this is a previous job but I had scheduled so many meetings in afternoon for midweek Champions League games I mean I I burned hours at work um, like scheduling fake things to not to, to be free to follow along. So um, I, I think we haven't had to move family around too much, even though we are leaving right after Christmas to head to London this year. So uh, there is that. But uh, JL, as, as, as far as I'm concerned right now, you take the cake. And I would love it if our audience and our listeners had stories of their own. Please email us, contact at londonisbluepodcast.com. We would love to read these out. Uh, Caleb coming at you hot, Dan, saying what kind of pizza best symbolizes today's game? Definitely Chicago-style pizza because it's just awful. Oh, God. <laughs> Can you get that um, uh, you know, I think it's probably like some level of Hawaiian pizza um, in combination with the uh, the deep dish style. Um, yeah, the That, that hey, together I, I, is some level I like level Hawaiian of, pizza. Come on. Yeah. I think pineapple on a pizza, controversial take, great. Love it. So yeah, Morgan, your, your Morgan point, likes it. Yeah. Uh, Sue Jean, actually, she just posted something on Instagram, a poll not too long ago about that. Uh, but Nick, you're wrong. I'm not wrong. It's a delight. 
open up your uh, taste buds a little bit. Uh, I mean, I actually, like, it, what I will say is there's probably some type of uh, you know because they are supported. You know, they are the um, the, the Lily Whites. Um, I believe is the other alternative nickname for them. Um, a white pizza probably best symbolizes the loss today because uh, they won. Because we because we surrendered. Because we waved or, a flag. It was a different geez. color. <laughs> Well, uh, okay. Yeah, no more. No more on that. <laughs> uh, well, look. To be fair, and I put this in the question. Dan was asking for for non football topic questions, and uh, that's what you get. J.K. new to the Patreon party, saying um, you can't really scapegoat one player for an overall bad performance in which none of them turned up. But David Luiz for me was atrocious today. The occasional attacking contributions from him just aren't worth the blunders in every big game. Why am I the only one thinking about moving Aspie to center back? Probably because I'm dumb, question mark. That's that's <laughs> rude to yourself. Um, anyways, I think, you know, we've, we've kind of talked about a little bit. We've uh, Aspie's a center back in FIFA, by the way. Uh, random, but weird to me. I don't know if that confused anyone else. But I think if you look at, uh, it's hard to say David Luiz is atrocious in every big match. I'm sorry, he has blunders in every big game. Uh, that's probably hard. But it, I think, how about this? He was really, he was really great against Liverpool. It must be said. So like, Nick, with David, we Lu- forget. It. We, yeah. So I'm saying with David Luiz, right? When it's good, it's great. But when it's not, it is really, really bad. And I think that's yeah, it's a, that's David Luiz. Yeah, it's who he's always been. I mean. Outside of the one, you know, the the sixteen seventeen year when he was just completely in control of that sweeper role, and you know was I, I think the heart of the team that year. Um, you know, he's always had this kind of flair for the dramatic. I mean, and you know, I'm a little biased because I've met him, and I think he's great, and he was so warm and welcoming, and you know, great to us. But we can also criticize mistakes when they happen, and he had a really rough game yesterday. You know, he's going to be pointed out for a lot of errors that were on the back line collectively and some that were just his his and his alone. Um, I, I don't think we can move Aspie to center back because we don't have another right back who can really do the job. And if you're throwing out Zappacosta, I'm sorry. That's just not going to work in the Premier League. Um, so it, it's we're, we're kind of in a in a weird spot right now. And, and we talked about that with the first question. But, uh, but yeah, that's just my take. Well. Thankfully, we don't have to go to Dan because we know that Dan wants Aspie sold. So we'll just keep it <laughs> yeah, on. Great. I'm kidding. Great oh, my job. gosh. I'm kidding. Calm down, people. Sorry, Dan. You're going to get a lot of hate for that. That's Justin okay. wrapping it up saying, I'm just trying to figure out how we play that poorly. We created little to no offense for 90% of the game, and we're just exposed over and over again with complete ease. Just an overall terrible performance all around, and I have nothing good to say about any individual or team aspect. <laughs> uh, good news, that wasn't a question, Justin, so I don't have to get into it. So, again, what vent. What, what did I write that question? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe you've got a... Not a just a host, account. but also a Patreon member. <laughs> Nicholas no, I was actually... I was actually surprised that we ended up with sixty percent of possession because we had zero percent in the first half. <laughs> like I've I have zero idea how that happened, but I I know where he's coming from, and I actually kind of addressed that in part one, Justin. Uh, you know, around the the big match mentality and how we didn't show up. So uh, big shout to you. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, uh, another Patreon member, Caleb, but he's coming at us on a, a different platform, which we won't really get into, but love it all. 
the well. Uh, just a shout out to him. So this is what he sent us. That was a bit depressing. We should have conceded six. Hopefully this will be the wake-up call needed a la Arsenal and Conte's first season. We can punish average and poor teams with current squad and tactics. We will struggle to find consistency against the top eight. <sighs> Got you, Caleb. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. And then the last one coming from Eric, our loyal listener out in New York, uh, says he had a hard time watching this. And he asked if we can squeeze this into the podcast. He says, should Sari have dropped Conte deeper, taken off William for Barkley, and changed the formation to a 4-4-2 after the first 16 minutes when Spurs were running right through us? Would it have, would it have made any difference? I mean, Dan, a 4-4-2 is definitely outside of Sari's comfort zone. I think that that would be out of the question but as far as Conte playing deeper there was a little spell where Jorginho and him actually switched positions did you see that in the match I did see that um and look we, we did create you know I mean obviously we only had you know two shots on target so that wasn't great but we did create some chances and you know part of that was the, the moments when Jorginho was able to get a little freer and you know, Conte soaked up some of that defensive responsibility um the, the goal with this system is to defend by moving the ball. It is not, you know, it, it is to try to move the ball quickly and continuously and never allow anyone to get close enough to, you know, interrupt it or interrupt the passing lanes or to disrupt the flow. So, you know, the, it isn't necessarily that you don't necessarily want Conte to have to drop deeper and shield the defense uh, and then push Jorginho forward because then Jorginho loses the ability to be the regista, the deep lying playmaker, uh, which is not a role that Conte is going to ever excel at in a capacity that Jorginho would. So uh, I think the true aspect that needs to be just continue to work on is quick movement and incisive passing of the ball that uh, does not allow our players to get jammed up in the way that we have seen so far, Nick. Yeah, I agree. And we have a bunch of Jorginho questions, so I won't get too far into that. But I actually think a good substitution yesterday would have been uh, Sesk on for Jorginho, um, largely because, you know, late in the second half as to not run his legs out too much. But I, I think some over-the-top passing could have maybe opened up some of our typical um, ground-and-pound uh, tactics. So um, talk about that in a little bit. All right. Well, let's just talk about it right now, really. I mean, let's let's – Talk about Jorginho. He is made out to be the focal point of this team. This is now the second or third time people have targeted him. Surely this happened in Serie A. This can't be the first time that Maurizio is running into this issue. But here we are from from Twitter, at DMG underscore nine, saying, uh, what about Jorginho? Why are people so hung up on praising him? Uh at Jose RG1747 saying, is Jorginho the, that vital for the team in this type of match when we need a faster midfielder and maybe Conte is better to stop those teams? At Craig Ledoux saying, is it worth pushing Conte out of the middle if Jorginho can be so easily man-marked out of the game? Why can't Jorginho be effective on the left or right? At, at smooth underscore one saying, uh, why didn't teams try to take Jorginho away at Napoli and how did Sarri counter that? I hear you. I'm, I'm with you, Steve. I agree with that big time. And lastly, uh, Thami's underscore VCAN Instagram saying, so shutting down Jorginho shuts us down. Is there any way, is there any way else we can survive for top four other than depending on Azard and Jorginho? So Nick running into it, like I said, there's got <sighs> to be an answer 
to Jorginho having a tough day. I mean, this can't be the first time Mauricio's ran into this. Yeah, and I, I think where he struggled yesterday, and I, I want Dan's opinion on this too, uh, not only did he get man-marked by two or three guys at a time, and I think that was kind of always the game plan. You know, uh, Manchester United did this, and Liverpool tried but really didn't succeed. Um, but I, I think he really struggled because the outlets, because the uh, Spurs were high-pressing us, the outlets weren't there for him to quickly get the ball out. He, he functions best when there is just a quick pass to make and he can reset himself and another quick pass to make. Um, and, and that just was never there yesterday. There was no pinging the ball around. There was nothing there. And I, I think where he gets really found out is on a counterattack when he has to try and use what little speed he has um, compared to like an N'Golo Conte, of course, um, to, to track back and make the right play, Dan. And, you know, he got found out a few times yesterday and it was, it was kind of brutal. It was definitely the situation that was causing us the most problems is that when you don't have an outlet or you can't move the ball around quick enough, which goes back to, you know, the comfort of players, um, which I think Kovacic had a little bit of a problem with that yeah, this past match with his Rabona cross and all the other things that he maybe tried and wasn't necessarily super effective with. I think this match actually is the one where I feel like Ruben Loftus-Cheek starting and as someone who can truly carry the ball forward, shrug off, you know, shrug off the uh, opposition players who has a physicality that really isn't matched in comparison to um, whether it be Kovacic or Barkley. Like, he does not get taken down easily um, and has a comfort in that. Like, you know, we don't kind of, like, wax put about his, you know, his stats when it comes to his dribbles or, you know, take-ons. But he is very, very solid at moving a ball forward. And I think he would have been the individual I would have liked to see start this type of match. Um but that yeah, was never going to happen, right? It never, never would have. You know, it, it was not going to happen. Yes, you are one hundred percent accurate. However, if it had happened, I think you know the the midfield complexity there would have been changed in the right direction uh, and given everybody a kind of a clear, defined role and definition that would have made it harder for Tottenham to execute on their game plan. Again, I am also Twitter coaching right now yeah. or podcast coaching, so. You know that that's uh, I will raise my hand and say I am not a professional uh, footballing coach in any capacity. But I think if I'm looking at ways that we could have gone and attacked them differently, that would have been the interesting wrinkle I would have liked to have seen. Nick. Yeah. Best of luck in your football manager career. Can't wait to <laughs> watch that on stream. Oh, that's gonna be yeah, great. The, the other the other thing I, I just want to kind of segue my earlier point. If the ball is going to move as slow as it moved yesterday, and I think that is like anti-Serissimo, right? Then N'Golo Conte has to be our central defensive midfielder. He has to be. Like, in my mind, the whole point of having Jorginho there is because he's the metronome and he's the tempo of the team. And if he's being taken out of his game, then they need to do a switch, much like Eden Hazard or William would have done uh, on the wings. They just need to switch. And then maybe if we get a better control of the game switch him back. Um, I think that is plausible. And Brandon, he did that for a, a brief moment in this game. Um, it looked like where they had a bit of rotation, but um, yeah, I think that has to be a tactic that's employed uh, moving forward. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, moving on to uh, a bit of the attacking side of the team today. So Ugo, uh, a huge MVP on the 
uh, Facebook group uh, posted in there. Do Chelsea have the worst front three in the top <laughs> six, Marata and William especially? And I thought it was a good question. I mean, obviously everyone at Seb Larson 08, at Yaroslav underscore blue, at Tosser of Coin, all talking about Murata and his ineffectiveness. Uh, Matt Law tweeting that Spurs went out of their way to give Angola Kante time and space on the ball in the attack because that's not his strength is passing and attacking spaces. So then you get into the William Eden Murata, insert Pedro, insert Giroud. Those are your essentially five players that make up our front three uh, in comparison. And we're being completely objective, Nick, right? Like I don't, we don't need stats. We're just doing a pure eye test and, and what you think? Um, worst of the worst yeah. of the top six, not including Everton, uh, right? I mean, right? Well, uh, well, they are the sixth team, right. so, so I, I am putting them in there. <laughs> yep. So I, I think we are fifth. Uh, if you look at what City has, you know, they have a plethora of options, including Mares and Cunaguero, um, You know, who are who are lighting it up so far. Um, they also have uh, who's their winger, their German winger. I just my name escapes me. Leroy Sané. Yeah, Leroy Sané, who's absolutely incredible. Uh, Gabriel Jesus, who is uh, in a bit of a rough patch, but still a really good striker. And on and on and on. They're really great. Liverpool's front three, although not off to a, f- a flying start this year, uh, I would still rank them head and shoulders above where we're at. I think Arsenal's front three, if Lacazette and Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan get it together then you know they're really interesting from an attacking perspective um spurs might slightly edge us just based on the fact that harry kane's more of a goal threat right now than Ed hazard is but i think those two are basically you know our line leaders for lack of a better term and then you know i think uh son and you know any combination of ali or or lamella or whoever else uh could potentially fill that void Better than William and Murata and Giroud and Pedro are for us right now. And I think that, you know, Richarlison's basically whatever Everton have going up front right now. But I think we're fifth. And fifth, you know, is is where we finished last year in the Premier League, Dan. Probably not good enough right now. I would agree. It makes a lot of sense that this would be, again, there's areas of upgrade all over the pitch. And you can debate which is of the highest priority right now. Um you can't win if you don't score. Uh, you also can't win if you concede goals. Um, I think you know. Again, Technically, that's a- not true. You could just outscore them. <laughs> Being cynical, I get uh, it. Could, we, could, we could take the Liverpool approach to uh, uh, from last year. Just score more than the opposition. Um, yeah, I. I sh- yeah, we we are probably fourth, fifth. I, I would say that's super accurate, and I, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. Let us know, our social media friends. Uh, all right, so last one we're going to wrap up with on this one is the leadership question. So coming from Jesper Farso on Instagram saying, do we simply lack leadership down with one goal? It should be possible to come back, especially against a side like Spurs. And I'm inserting my clarification here because they have the tendency to crumble and lack the the spine to to stay strong. Back to Jesper. Back in the days, Terry would have been all over the referee in that context. Man, the referees are shit. So, Dan, uh, I'm going to let you take your stab at this one from a leadership standpoint. You know, is it as simple as we don't have the same type of captain as JT was? 
or is it a little bit more across the team for you? I don't even know if it's across the team. I, I just look at you know a lot of Premier League clubs and, and don't have that same type of leader in their their squads. I mean, if you think about you know who is that decisive figure or captain at Manchester United, you know I know again they're they're more of a mid table team this season, so you know you can't look at them the same way. Um, so then maybe let's you know look at like City or look at Arsenal or look at you know Tottenham even. Um, there's not really that type of footballer as much anymore. Um, and I think it's more of a global thing to kind of solve for is that as you bring in players who are not kind of brought up through the ranks, you know, it's to map anyone against John Terry, they, they are always going to lose. It's, it's really an unfair fight in kind of comparison. So it's what, what are the things you want out of a leader or out of the captain on the pitch? And, and that unfortunately is going to be different from manager to manager and club to club. So I think what we want as fans and supporters is going to struggle there. However, in the definition of leadership, um, that that is really kind of an interesting kind of question there and i think ultimately nick i would like to see um some players find a way to step up more consistently without like losing their cool too like i think i've we've seen alonzo do it before we've seen rudiger do it before where they can kind of step up in those moments but they also are some of the first people to you know make a, a, a just a cute or cheeky challenge that you know gets them carded or you know puts them in the kind of the thought process of the referee for the next time they see that that challenge so it's not about being kind of a a saint necessarily but it's also not about being like a a habitual sinner either yeah right I, i agree with you i think there is in my mind there are a couple jobs that a captain has to do on the pitch they have to set the tone from the start everyone has to know their job and Outside of the kind of last words that Sarri is able to say before the match and at halftime, this is essentially, you know, our, our, you know, manager on the pitch. So I think that has to be said. I think they have to consistently talk during the match to players from a positional standpoint and an organization standpoint. So I think when, when we're having a bit of struggle yesterday, I need, uh, as P yelling across positionally, reminding people constantly talking, 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 talking to ensure that people know what they're supposed to be doing. I think Jorginho does a little bit of that from like the Regista role, but um, probably not enough. And I'm not sure he has all of the respect yet um, that, uh, you know, a longstanding captain would. So maybe there's a part of that in there. And then finally, I think they do need to be at the referee. They, they need to be able to have conversations both, um, in their face and and otherwise that um, that a referee can understand and say okay well you know I know you know I screwed up that call maybe that's in my mind the next time I think those are the roles and uh, whoever on this team can can most consistently do that Brandon that's what I'm in for all right what let's do that no you know it's uh <laughs> I think that as we kind of move on and and everything it's um I was listening to the fan cast, and I can't remember if it was the Love Sport or the actual um, Monday episode. But, you know, they just talked about how we always say, oh, it's an end of an era with these players. We're never going to get Frank and Didier and JT, you know, players like this again. Uh, and they pointed out, hey, uh, it's really happening. We are really missing them. We are actually, like, can't replace them. And I think that 
It just shows us how lucky and blessed we were to have them on the team because in moments of adversity like this, no big deal. And now look at it. Now it's uh, it's a very big deal. We are sitting here trying to solve problems that uh, could have been solved and were solved by the players on the pitch beforehand. And that was a great thing for us. But it's a different time. Uh, Chelsea need to uh, find new solutions, find new answers, and we need our big players to step up and be our leaders and carry us uh, all the way through to the end of the match. So anyways, thank you all for all of your questions. This one could have easily gone two hours, but we have to keep it moving. Uh, before we look ahead at our match previews, uh, again, another gift uh, giving from us to you guys. Nick, take it away. That's right. If you missed the Cyber Monday deals uh, on World Soccer Shop, which would be a bummer for you, then have no fear. Uh, we're coming back with a, uh, a 10% off using our code LONDONPOD. So if you're still working on uh, on those holiday gift-giving options for all your family and friends to, to be outfitted in Chelsea gear, uh, LONDONPOD, 10% off. Go do it. Simple. Super simple. That's what we do. We negotiated hard to keep it that simple for you guys. All right. Pauk in the Europa League is the next match ahead of Chelsea. It's going to be at Stamford Bridge this coming Thursday, November 29th. And if you remember, last time Chelsea played away at Pauk, they won one nothing. It was a seventh-minute William goal to win it. Uh, Nick, as we kind of look at the lineup, which I think this is always the big talking point for us as we look to... Um, you know, what, what's Maurizio going to do? You had Arista Balaga, Alonso, Rudiger, Zapacosta, Christensen, Jorginho, Barkley, Conte, William, Pedro, Morata. Quite a few starters, uh, you know, that played in this match against Spurs at the weekend. What are you kind of thinking? I believe Chelsea only need one point to secure progress. What do you think that Maritza is going to do in the lineup standpoint this time? I think Emerson will come in for Alonso after a long match. I think uh, you'll probably see some Christensen and Cahill action uh, in the middle. I think you'll probably see uh, Zappa Costa on the right. Uh, I would imagine that Ruben and Barkley would both play in the midfield. Uh, maybe Sesk also as kind of the Regista role. Uh, just to give Jorginho a break. I mean, the poor bastard needs it. Um, and then up front, I would anticipate that Morata would start again. Uh, I think I think Olivier Giroud, if it hasn't been said to this point, Olivier Giroud has to start in the Premier League for the next few matches. I think it's too important, and he's uh, he's a better link-up player. So I would anticipate Morata would start on Thursday. Um, Pedro probably comes in. I'd love to see Callum Hudson-Odoi play at home, um, so maybe he gives hazard a break or, or some sort of thing like that but that would be my prediction i think one point it's at home i i would like to see some rotations kind of like you're saying um you know but we'll see you know as far as if olivier Giroud is going to start at the weekend against fulham that means he's not going to play this match though right yeah exactly and that's that's what i'm saying is i think you you give Morata the back-to-back starts knowing that Giroud needs to play against fulham um and we need to get those points. Uh, we cannot afford to drop any more points right now. So uh, he's a he's a better link-up player. It, it was a clear difference when he came on to what Murata offered yesterday. And uh, I think he's just uh, he's probably just the better option for right now. Absolute day and night, unfortunately, once Giroud came on for Murata. The other thing is, was it Dan who was teasing us before the first episode saying that Ed Nazard has yet to score uh, with Murata on the pitch? 
Correct. Yikes. Yeah, and that's a that's a damning uh, that's a damning stat right there. Oh. Uh, we all know that he loves Giroux and he loves the interchange that they have. And you know, look, uh, so- sometimes it's just not your moment, and it appears that it's just not Marat's moment. Um, and it, you know, I think let's just uh, let's put that one to bed for now, and let's put Giroux in for for Premier League, and, and let Marata try and. Uh, um, you know, really get his form back in Europa League. Yeah. All right. Well, the table stands or Chelsea are in first by a mile, uh, 12 points. Vidi on six in second. Uh, Pauk uh, on th- in third on three points because they have a better goal difference in Bate, who are in fourth on three points. Uh, negative one goal difference to negative four for those two. So um, kind of seems like the group has been settled. But again, Chelsea just need the one point from this one. And then we move beyond the Thursday fixture, and we're back on a Sunday. Man, I hate those Sunday matches, Nick, but it's Fulham. It is Premier League action back at Stamford Bridge. Thankfully, a doubleheader at home this week. That has to do a ton for not having days eaten up by travel. So that will be on Sunday, December 2nd. Obviously, huge changes at Fulham, Nick. Uh, Ranieri recently appointed, uh, got the new manager bounce, and they beat Southampton 3-2. Absolute goal thriller for them. Uh, Andre Sherla is coming back, and I don't think you really call it a rivalry, but obviously, you know, they're both in and around. It's a derby. Right. You know, Fulham area, you know, Chelsea, you can walk from Sanford Bridge to Craven Cottage uh, because we did it last last we year. Did. We went on an epic pub tour, actually. It was awesome. Um yeah, like of of all the teams in the Premier League that I I don't have a problem with, Fulham will top that list. Um, we had a blast when we went to see them in the Championship last year. I will not be rooting for them this year, obviously. Um, but you know they're they're a different team with Ranieri. I think Yukanovic uh, uh, really struggled in the Premier League, and so bringing in someone like uh, Ranieri, uh, who has a ton of Premier League experience, is going to be good for their chances. Um, you know. First win in, in five. Uh, and, you know, look, this should be a win. This has to be a win. Um, Chelsea has to show up, get Giroud involved, get either William or Pedro on the right to do something. Otherwise, you know, put in Ruben or something, uh, someone who's going to make make moves on the right-hand side, uh, get Hazard scoring again, uh, and, and cruise to a victory here. I'd, I'd like to see Barkley start uh, in this type of match as well because I don't think – um, we, we'd need two uh, defensive midfielders in there, but uh, just you know, let's let's have a go at it. Let's put up some goals. Their defense is still shaky. Uh, this is uh, kind of right for the for the picking, Brandon. Hell yes, I want six goals uh, for the Chels. I want us <laughs> to just run at them, like bury all the ghosts, bury all the demons. I love your shout for Barkley. Like, do we really need? to play defensive against Fulham, who are in 19th place in the table. I just, I get they've got Ranieri. They had their new manager bump. They got the three points. They squeezed it out versus Southampton. I mean, this is a, a, a one that, that he has to have circled on the calendar being like, this is a good one for to, to get us back on track. So I am all the way in love with this of just absolutely going for it. Hell, if you wanted to play... Only one of Jorginho and Conte this match and just go for it and throw the kitchen sink at them. I'm talking Pedro, Giroud, 
Ed Nazard, put the three up front that we know can score goals. You ping balls into Ollie. He lays it off to either one of those two on the wings, and we just bury him. That's what has to happen, right? I mean, there's no other option. Like, you can't, like, success in this match next to me is you can't even go out there defensive. You can't even, it has to be like, press them into their own goal from the beginning and don't let them out of their own half. That is the only way we can look at this as a success. I agree. Like, we, we have to. We have to get back. I, I, I want the team to show initiative. I want them to show fight and hunger, and I want it to be from the first whistle until the last. Um, and that's just the way it is. I mean, we have a huge festive period coming up. There should be a lot of rotation, but the expectation remains that, you know, if, if you win the games you're supposed to win and you, and you take a few points off of top six rivals, that you're in with a shout at the end of the year. So we have to we have to do that. Yeah. It's non-negotiable. Obviously, just to clarify, of course we as Americans love Fulham. There's so much American history at that club. Um, obviously, you know, it uh, it's a soft spot, but but don't think we're going to root for them or want them to score. I just told you, I want to win 6 nothing. But it's a great away day. That's all I'm saying. So that's that's all we've got for this one, fans. Thank you so much for listening. Again, we love, love, love doing this part two with all of your questions. Um, it, it just helps us connect to you guys better. Uh, Nick, thank you for hanging on all the way to then. Much appreciated to have you around. What up? I will. Uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be in Austin this week with the. Uh with the uh, Austin Blues, I think, at Haymakers. So uh, shout out to uh, to those folks. 6 a.m., baby. Let's do it. I know. It's going to be an early one. And shout out to Milwaukee Blues member who came out to Br- to Brits, hung out with us, had a great chat with them as well. Thanks for visiting. Chad and I will let you know when we are in your neck of the woods. But until next time, Chelsea fans, that's a wrap. We're done this week. It's another doubleheader. Big, big, big opportunity for Chelsea to come back, smash a couple teams, and fix everything that's been going wrong. So, fingers crossed, we get back on track. So, with that being said, we're going to call it a day. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.